Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Sask Egg Today is brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. Future Ford is your automotive expert. From sales to service, they're the ones you can trust to get you rolling again sooner. Sask Egg Today with Doug Faulkner. Good afternoon and welcome to Saskag Today. Coming up on today's program, Saskatchewan's Agriculture Minister says the opening of a new cull sow processing plant at Moose Jaw will add to the tax base that helps pay for such things as the construction of new schools, new hospitals and new highways in the province. Saskatchewan's Agriculture Minister David Merritt will join us on today's program. New data suggests rest stops during long-haul transportation of recently weaned beef calves do not provide any measurable benefits, and there may even be some risks. We will hear from Dr. Reynold Bergen, who is the science director with the Beef Cattle Research Council, on that. The executive director of Farm and Food Care Saskatchewan warns that by failing to share the story of agriculture, Farmers risks the imposition of emotion-based rules that restrict the ability of farmers to produce food. Clinton Monchuk will be on today's program as well. So all of those stories and much more coming up on today's edition of Saskag Today. But first it's time for the Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. And that's a presentation of Milligan Bio. Milligan Bio now offers bio meal for your livestock giving your animals more protein, more energy, and more of what they need. It's also brought to you by Sean Prahitka, your Remax Blue Chip Ag Division Specialist. Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. With Phil Spivak from Precision Weather. And Phil, we've been getting snow for the better part of the morning. Can we expect this to continue today? Yeah, we're pretty well embedded in this area of snowfall. It is a somewhat broken area, and we're uh, on the western edge of an area that I guess technically is moving eastward. I'm watching the trends, and you can see that there is some eastward motion to it, but the problem is it's not really losing its back end. It's just the whole system is moving, and snow showers are sort of filling back in where they're exiting. So it's going to take a little while to get through that. That's the end result of this. Uh, still some accumulating snow through the afternoon, uh, likely on the order of three to six additional centimeters. Watching a little bit of steadier snow right now, uh, sitting off to the south of Yorkton. Looks like that's uh, coming into Esterhazy in the next little while. Uh, that is likely to produce a slightly higher amount, but overall it's going to be a persistent light snow through the afternoon and will continue through tonight, the bulk of the accumulation occurring during the daytime hours, but there could still be another couple of centimeters through the night and uh, tomorrow really not much of a change, although the accumulation is more minimized. Temperatures are not moving a whole lot. We're also going to see, in addition to the fact that it's not really going to be truly piling is that the wind picks up a little bit 15 to 30 most of the day but the gusts will start to increase through the afternoon and through the night tonight 20 to 35 gusts closer to 45 50 so that light snow which is not accumulating much has to go somewhere and it'll 
whip through the air. It'll keep that visibility low. Uh, when the wind is down, it's not that heavy of a snow that it's causing that much of a problem, of course, uh, making slick conditions on the roads, but it will certainly at times be much greater, uh, much poorer visibility, I should say. Zero the high again tomorrow. The flurries do wind down. Maybe a few passing flurries tomorrow night and Friday. Most of the days are dry. Temperatures staying within a few degrees of zero. Make them up just short of that on Friday. And then we dry things out. Looks like a uh, better stretch into the weekend. A partly to mostly sunny day on Saturday with a high near one. And Saturday night, late Saturday night into Sunday, there could be a couple of passing flurries. This looks to be another one of those uh, quick hits of Maybe a coating, not much uh, a significant accumulation, but certainly enough to uh, make things white again if we can clear out the rest of the white from now. Uh, and then we clear back out to a partly to mostly sunny day on Sunday with a high near two. And temperatures are milder. We'll melt off most of what falls early next week. That's Phil Spivak from Precision Weather. Temperatures around the region this hour. The Paw, Dauphin, and Roblin are at minus one degree. Swan River and Brandon, zero Show Lake Russell, minus 2. Regina, Hudson Bay, Broadview, Mooseman, Indian Head, Winyard, Wadena, Kelvington, all reporting in at 0. Saskatoon is at plus 2. The Yorkton-Melville region has light snow, a west wind at 17 kilometers an hour. 98% is the relative humidity. The temperature is zero. Yesterday, Yorkton reached a high of minus one degree and dropped to a low of minus three degrees. There was 3.4 millimeters of water equivalent precipitation that fell in the 24-hour period ending at midnight last night. The normal high for this date is minus one degree. The normal low is minus nine degrees. The sun rose in Yorkton at 7.55 this morning, and it will set at 5.12 this afternoon. Extreme temperatures for Manitoba and Saskatchewan yesterday. The Manitoba hotspot was a tie between Emerson, Melita, Deerwood, and Kleefeld. They all hit plus 2 degrees. The Manitoba cold spot was Churchill at minus 16 degrees. The Saskatchewan hotspot yesterday was Coronac. It got up to plus 11 degrees. The cold spot was Collins Bay at minus 6 degrees. And that's a look at your agriculture weather. Please stay tuned. Saskag Today will return right after this. Welcome back to Saskag Today. Saskatchewan's agriculture minister says the opening of a new cull sow processing plant at Moose Jaw will add to the tax base that helps pay for such things as the construction of new schools, new hospitals, and new highways in the province. Last month, North 49 Foods, a subsidiary of British Columbia-based Donald's Fine Foods, officially opened its new federally inspected sow processing facility at Moose Jaw. Saskatchewan Agriculture Minister David Merritt is pleased to see it. Well, obviously for the province it's great news. Um, my understanding is is this the first pork facility slaughter plant that's built in Western Canada in 12 years. 
Uh, I've got to know uh, Donald real well and his and his wife Julie and and uh, I really do want to thank him for making the investment here in Saskatchewan. But what it really means to the pork industry, and I didn't know this before, especially with the sow market, that they were all heading to the United States before. That's where they were going. So to see a plant here, I think really what it does is it allows the producers an opportunity now to market where they're not going to be paying a big trucking cost and that they still be able to obviously see some return on it. So, um, but what it means to the province is obviously another company, more employees, a lot of people working. Obviously, they're going to be buying homes, they're going to be buying vehicles, they're going to be doing everything. Uh, and then we're going to see, my understanding is when, when it hits peak production, 250,000 sows that won't be going across the border that will be in production here. He talks about the Saskatchewan government's role in bringing the new plant to Moose Jaw. Well, I, I guess probably our big, uh, biggest significant role was our investment attraction on the value-added processing, what we did. And then when we had some discussions with Donald and, and really trying to have the discussion around African swine fever, we had to have a, a cull line that if we ever had to do something, we had to have a mechanism to do that through a facility. So we worked with Donald Fine Foods and actually now have that line there so that if we do have a, to do a math uh, euthanization, we have the facility to do it. So the, the province, along with SAS Pork, uh, put in a million dollars to help do that. So that was, uh, that was important for us. And it was important for Donald Fine Foods, too. They really wanted to do it when they were doing the changeover and facilitate. It was easier to do it now than to try and do it later on. So uh, it was very important. But I think the biggest thing was the investment attraction side that we have for value-added processing really is going to help them. Merritt says the new jobs created by the plant will help out Saskatchewan's economy in the long run. Well, it's obviously big. It's all part of our growth strategy where we really wanted to see the value-added processing increase in the province of Saskatchewan. The pork industry is big, is a big industry here in the province. We still see a mass exodus of hogs, uh, obviously, to the United States with isoweens, but even on the slaughter side to Maple Leaf in, uh, in Brandon and also in, in Manitoba. We have, uh, you know, we have Donald Fine Foods with their processing plant in Moose Jaw. This adds to that. But really where it really helps is you look at a community like Musha, and now, you know, uh, whether this uh, facility ramps up to 80 people or 100 people or whatever the case may be, it's going to have a spinoff. It's going to have a spinoff for industry, for the trucking side, for all sides and aspects of it. And I think we don't know that full amount yet, but it's going to be significant to the community, not just the communities of uh, Musha, but to the province as a whole. As I said, it's going to improve on the tax base. We're going to have taxpayers paying. And, I mean, how do we build schools, how do we build hospitals, how do we build highways? It's through, you know, uh, uh, people paying income tax in the province of Saskatchewan just allows us that opportunity to do more. He believes agriculture has a bright future in Saskatchewan. Well, I think we're looking, you know, we are the world leader when you look at a lot of the uh, agriculture issues that, are, that we are doing, whether it's grains and crop side, pulse side, livestock side, we've got a great footprint from the hog side as well as we do from, uh, from the cattle and livestock side as well. The story we're really trying to tell is when you look at the hog industry, just to specifically at this time, one of the key components is how the food is grown. And we, can shoot, we have shown scientifically that we're the best in the world at it. So now that allows a company like Donald Fine Foods to say, look, at, here's how we're growing or processing the, the pork in a sustainable manner. Here's how it's grown in Saskatchewan. And here's how the grain is growing in the province of Saskatchewan to help feed the, free, feed the industry as well. I think this is just a great story, and, and I'm sure glad you're, you're, you're doing this because 
it's a story to tell. And what we're starting to see internationally is companies are really starting to look at the province of Saskatchewan with uh, opportunities of growth, especially around when we start talking our, sustainab our sustainability footprint and what we're doing from crops and the livestock side as well. And Merritt had these final comments. No, I just want to really uh, commend Donald Fine Foods for uh, making the investment here in the province of Saskatchewan. It's, uh, it's pretty humbling as the Minister of Agriculture to see a family invest this kind of dollars, and I mean it was significant, in a facility that was laying there, you know, virtually sitting in mothballs, and uh, this family took the, uh, took the chance, really, and made the investment uh, to, to do it in Moose Jaw, build it. And, and, you know, and now they're just looking, I mean, Musho's looking at housing opportunities because of the employees coming in and things like that. So it's important for us to help build on that uh, because we want to start processing more of what we grow here, whether it's pork, cattle, grains, oil seeds, all of it. You look at our crush capacity, what we're doing there. We're seeing pulse processing take off. Now we're seeing another venue. And for Donald's Fine Foods to come in, and this is my understanding is the largest plant of six, uh, and when I toured it and saw the technology that they put into this facility, it's a great story that I love to tell about in the province of Saskatchewan. That's Saskatchewan Agriculture Minister David Merritt. It's time now for the Ag Review portion of our program, and that's a presentation of New Era Ag Technologies in Swan River. Future Ford has been serving the Melville area for over 30 years. They focus on the future. Their staff are ready for what's to come. Ford Tech is changing all the time with new vehicle technology like EV, self-driving, and more. Get ready to drive into the future. Why? Because the future is Future Ford. GX94, Agri-Review. The Senate voted yesterday to reject amendments that would have seen barn and greenhouse heating removed from Bill C-234. In a sitting yesterday afternoon, Senators voted no to the adoption of amendments made by the Committee for Agriculture and Forestry. 28 voted yes and 4 abstained. The Senate then voted to conduct the third reading of the bill the next time it sits, which, as per the Senate website, is today. If the Senate votes to approve the bill without amendments after the third reading, it will be ready for royal assent. Bill C-234 had its first reading in February of 2022. The private member's bill proposed exempting fuels used for grain drying and heating of barns and greenhouses from the federal price on carbon. Canadian pea exports are running at a solid pace through the first two months of the 2023-24 marketing year. That's despite smaller production, as exports of newly harvested supplies in September nearly quadrupled what moved the previous month. Canada exported 440,085 metric tons of peas in September, up from only 99,645 metric tons the previous month, according to the latest international trade data from Statistics Canada, released yesterday. That took the 2023-24 marketing year total to 539,730 metric tons, which was in line with the year-ago level. China was the largest customer, accounting for roughly three-quarters of the total. Bangladesh, the U.S. and Colombia were also major buyers. Most of the pea exports were yellow peas, with green pea shipments accounting for only about 3% of the total. 
The Saskatchewan government says it has expanded legislation that ensures landowners are owed compensation from oil and gas companies. The province says amendments to regulations are to give more powers to the Surface Rights Board. It says the board can soon force companies to pay landowners when they fail to make payments or damage property. The province says the rules come into effect on January 1st. The City of Calgary will be demolishing the decommissioned Lilydale poultry plant today. The plant, which sits on Hearst Road in the community of Ramsey, operated for decades as the residential area around it grew. Over the years, the plant became a point of contention for area residents, primarily because of the odor, but also due to noise levels and traffic. In 2017, the city began working with Sofina Foods to acquire the land, and by January of 2022, had taken possession. The building will be knocked down to make way for construction of the Green Line LRT project next year. Indigenous leaders from across B.C. are urging the federal government to stick to plans to oust open-net salmon farms from B.C. waters by 2025. Chiefs have travelled to Ottawa for meetings with federal officials, including Fisheries Minister Diane Le Boutelier. The chair of the First Nations Wild Salmon Alliance says most First Nations in B.C. want an end to open-net salmon farms, but Bob Chamberlain says it's not unanimous because about a dozen are involved in the salmon farming industry. The B.C. salmon farming industry says it's important to take the interests of Indigenous salmon farmers into account when decisions about open-pen farms are made. The Canadian Food Inspection Agency has conditionally licensed an oral vaccine to protect honeybees against a serious bacterial infection, the first vaccine for the insects approved for use in Canada. Dubbed American Fowl Brood, it can wipe out entire colonies if not treated. Research trials funded by manufacturer Dalen Animal Health showed a 30 to 50 percent decrease in such infections among honeybee larvae, whose queen bee received the vaccine compared to placebo hives. And a study in the journal Nature says climate change could soon make beer, the world's most popular alcoholic drink, much more bitter. Researchers say higher temperatures and drought in regions of Europe where the best hops for beer are grown are altering the quality of the hops, which in turn alter the flavor. Farmers are combating this by mixing hops for the best results, but the process is expensive, tedious, and not sustainable. And be sure to listen to the latest SaskAg Today podcast. It's brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. And that's today's Ag Review. Please stay tuned. SaskAg Today will continue right after these messages. Welcome back to SaskAg Today. I'm Doug Falconer. Light snow and zero in the Yorkton-Melville region. I'll have your complete weather details coming up at 1 o'clock. New data suggests rest stops during long-haul transportation of recently weaned beef calves do not provide any measurable benefits, and there may even be some risks. Dr. Karen schwarzkopf Genswein's team at the Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada Research Station at Lethbridge is involved with three research trials using nasal samples collected and tested for respiratory bacteria.
Results from the first study were recently published. 160 freshly weaned and not preconditioned crossbed steer calves from a single ranch were split into two equal groups. One group went to an auction mart overnight and put through the sales ring the next day before being shipped back to the research feedlot. The second ranch direct group went directly to the research feedlot. In both cases, commercial truckers loaded the calves, hauled them for 36 hours, and unloaded them at the research feedlot. At this point, some of the wean steers were reloaded and moved by truck for another four hours, while others were allowed to rest eight hours before traveling the last four hours. Nasal swabs were collected at the research feedlot one, three, six, and 28 days after arrival. The samples were tested for bacteria, some of which are beneficial and others that can break down protective mucus. Dr. Reynold Bergen is the science director with the Beef Cattle Research Council. His article in the October edition of Canadian Cattlemen's Magazine summarizes Dr. Schwarzkopf-Genwin's research. For example, the bacteria most associated with bovine respiratory disease, or BRD, were more common in the calves that went to the auction market, which would have similar conditions to a long-distance rest facility. In addition, calves that rested for eight hours carried fewer protective bacteria than those that went unrested. The research also found that rest stops often increased the abundance of the groups of bacteria associated with BRD. Dr. Bergen explains what the research results mean. Only 6% of the calves ended up getting treated for BRD. So that's too low to detect statistically meaningful differences in treatment rates between the groups. But the microbiology suggests that a rest stop during long-distance transport may increase the risk of BRD in newly weaned beef calves. An eight-hour rest stop reduced the numbers of good protective bacteria and increased the numbers of bacteria that can compromise respiratory health and or cause BRD. As for the bottom line, research had already shown that rest stops during long-haul transport don't benefit newly weaned beef calves. And this new research suggests that rest stops may increase the risk of BRD. That could potentially increase the need for preventative or therapeutic antibiotic use. Though again, this study was too small to detect those differences. More details on the study can be found in Dr. Bergen's article in the October edition of Canadian Cattlemen's Magazine. Livestock Market Conditions U.S. live cattle futures for December are trading at 179.30 this hour. That's up 52. February live cattle trading at 179.07, up 65. January feeder cattle trading at 232.52, that's up 170. March feeder cattle trading at 234.67, up 142. December lean hogs trading at 71.37, down 152. February lean hogs trading at 74.32, down 170. And that's the livestock market conditions. 
The executive director of Farm and Food Care Saskatchewan warns that by failing to share the story of agriculture, farmers risk the imposition of emotion-based rules that restrict the ability of farmers to produce food. Clinton Monchuk says the organization's focus is to ensure consumers understand how farmers and ranchers in Saskatchewan and across Canada are producing food. So Farm and Food Care Saskatchewan is an organization whose focus is to make sure consumers understand how farmers and ranchers are producing food here in Saskatchewan but across Canada. So we do a lot of different activities, whether they're events, tours, um, online initiatives, to try and engage consumers to build that understanding, build that knowledge of, of where food is being grown and how it's being grown. In terms of our membership, pretty much every major commodity within the province of Saskatchewan is a member of ours. Uh, we do have different agribusinesses, some funding from the uh, provincial and federal government, but really the main focus and the main drive behind Farm and Food Care Saskatchewan is the farmers and ranchers uh, who are growing food in, in the province. He explains why sharing your farm story matters. So we do a lot of different analytics when it comes to trying to understand what consumers are thinking and where their minds are at when it comes to food. And, and what ends up happening is there is a little bit, and I should say a little bit, there's actually a big um, absence of information that's out there where consumers may think they know what's happening in food production and they do searches for it. And, and as you know, that the searches on different search engines may produce uh, not pro-agriculture, pro-modern farming results. So as a result of that, part of what we need to do as an agriculture industry is make sure that we are out there telling our story about how our food is being produced on our own farms. Giving the opportunity to talk to a consumer, and we have a lot of data on this, when there's the, that engagement between a farmer and a consumer about how the food is being grown, there's a higher level of confidence. And a higher level of confidence with consumers means that you have a more confident consuming public and, and definitely uh, when questions come up in the future that the consumer has, they know that they've already talked to a farmer and they know how food is being grown. So that's really uh, what we're trying to do, make sure that more farmers are out there talking about what they do just in their communities, on their social media networks, uh, and to others who uh, are interested in knowing. Monchuk notes people who don't have ties to agriculture are becoming more interested in learning about where their food comes from. So it's interesting. So we, uh, and again, we do a lot of uh, uh, statistical surveying to figure out, you know, what portion of the population actually wants to know more about farming practices. And it turns out that roughly two thirds of the Canadian population are interested in knowing more about how their food is being grown. So, you know, the, this varies a great deal to, you know, why are there locks? Uh, why are you trying to keep me out of that hog barn over there? Um, and then that discussion gets into, well, there's biosecurity. We want to make sure we're actually protecting the hogs from you and what you may have on your body or in your lungs. So having those conversations to make sure that the consumer understands, okay, well, it's, it's actually in the best interest of the hogs that are in that barn for me not to go in there. 
but then being transparent about that and making sure that we can have those conversations, that builds trust, and that's what we want to see going forward. He tells us who is being asked to share their story. So really, this, this is a, a, a broad, stretching kind of request. Uh, I, I would say everybody who's comfortable um, talking to others about what they do. And, and, and it doesn't have to be, you know, making a brand new social media uh, campaign or anything like that. It could be as simple as just talking to the individual you're sitting beside at a hockey game that your kids or your grandkids are going to. It could be as simple as just putting the odd post on on social media to say, hey, this is what we're doing. We're moving out hogs today, and this is why we're doing it this way. Um, There's a lot of different opportunities for you to actually engage with the public, and I find in, in my own personal life, and, and my kids uh, play hockey and dance and baseball, all these different activities, when they find out that I'm an actual farmer, these questions come naturally to them. Uh, okay, so what do you mean? How, how do these eggs get produced? What's the difference between a white egg and a brown egg, right? So uh, it just naturally comes out because consumers are really interested in, in having these conversations and being open to talking about them with others really has that power to increase trust. Monchuk says we must not fail in engaging the public about modern agriculture. I, I think we're already starting to see some of it in the development of policy that's maybe not pro-modern agriculture. And, and I'll say, um, especially in the, the, the pork industry and, and a lot of the animal or the livestock, there's already outside influences that are affecting um, different ways that you build barns now or the handling. And some of this is, is good. And it's just, you know, it's science-based uh, practices that are good for not only the farmers, but the animals um, all the way through. Some of the policies, though, coming uh, down the pike are, are not science-based. They're more emotionally based. And, and that's where um, I get a little concerned, and I think there's where we need to have more education and more engagement with the public to make sure not only consumers but policymakers who, who make the rules for, for farmers and ranchers are done so in a way that is science-based um, and, and that we follow those through right through to, from production right to, to our plate. Um, so I do think there is a risk um, with not talking to the general public and not talking to others um, that we will have more restrictive policies put in place in agriculture. And he adds these final comments. I'd just say that there, there are a lot of different things that we do online, and, and uh, all your listeners can just go to uh, farmfoodcaresk.org uh, to see some of our different events that are coming up and, and different uh, training opportunities that they might want to take part in. Uh, and just get involved and follow us on, on the different platforms. Clinton Monchuk is the Executive Director of Farm and Food Care Saskatchewan. Please stay tuned. I'll have your commodities update coming up in one minute's time. Commodities update. Canola futures are trading down in the nearby months this morning, this afternoon actually. January canola trading at 699.80. That's down 80 cents. March canola trading at 708.30, down 10 cents. December Minneapolis wheat 
trading at 7.34 per bushel. That's up nine and three quarters of a cent. December Kansas City wheat trading at 6.51 and three quarters, up 19 and a quarter cents. December Chicago wheat trading at 5.88 and a half. That's up 18 and a quarter cents. December corn trading at 4.75 per bushel. That's up six and a half cents. January soybeans trading at 13.65 and a half. That's up three and a half cents. December oats trading at 3.41 and a quarter. That's down ten and three quarters of a cent. And that's the commodities update. Please stay tuned. Your Farm Bulletin Board is coming up next. Farm Bulletin Board. Plenty of support programs are available to grain and livestock producers, but it can be hard to keep track of them all. Chair of the Lower Surus Watershed Committee, Teresa Walker, says they're organizing a pair of events in Redverse today and Whitewood tomorrow to show support programs that producers may find helpful. We have a lot of programs out there. We have provincial programs, we have federal programs, and we have um, programs like the Ducks Unlimited Canada program. And it's so that producers understand which fits their particular operation. You know, if they're reseeding some some land into permanent pasture, those kinds of things, because it's all so different. And how do they know... You know, they can click on a link, but they don't know that that one's the best one for them. So that's what we're trying to do is to help to help producers get the best bang for their buck. She says there will be several representatives at these meetings. So Water Security Agency, the Ministry of Agriculture, Irrigation Projects, PAMI. We have a great program that's run by the Saskatchewan Association of Watersheds, the Prairie Watersheds Climate Program. We're going to have... Two girls from the Ministry of Agriculture talking to us about the SCAP. Um, we have verified beef production coming to talk. We have Ducks Unlimited Canada, uh, the CFGA, and then we have a great group of sponsors too. She says the growing season in the southeast was dry this year. Actually, our, our pastures run out earlier than, than usual. We're happy that we've got some decent prices now for calves. Um, I'm a sheep producer too, and the sheep price is a little low. But the um, calf price is, is uh, very good, so we're grateful for that at least. And she encourages people to register ahead of time. Um, we would prefer it, and that's just because we have two girls making lots of lasagna. So we would like to, to have an idea of numbers if possible. You can give them my phone number for a text, or they can email info, it's I-N-F-O, at lowersaurus.com, um, and let us know numbers so that the two events one in red was one in whitewood they're both pretty much the same agendas red was legion hall 8th of november and whitewood livestock auction on the 9th of november so we're trying to cover all of the southeast as close as possible her text number is 306-435-7224 as you heard the first event is in red verse today and the second is in whitewood tomorrow at whitewood livestock It's too late to register for today, but for tomorrow, the meeting starts at 9.45 with registration, followed by the speakers from 10 a.m. until noon.
Just another note, warnings at a recent U.S. Senate agriculture hearing about the amount of money China is investing into agricultural research. This is Dr. David Ortega with Michigan State University. China, since 2011, became the largest funder of agricultural research and development, far surpassing the U.S. and the European Union. They are currently spending five times more on research and development today than they were two decades ago. In comparison, here in the U.S., uh, our spending and investment has fallen, and it's fallen by about a third uh, over the last two decades, and it is close to about half of what China is spending, and their, their trajectory is upward. We are um, falling behind, and it's, it's what I would consider to be one of the most serious threats to our food security is their level of investment. India and Brazil are also closing the gap on the United States for annual spending on agriculture research. And, of course, don't forget that SaskAg Today is always available on podcast. Listen to past shows whenever you want. Find them easily by going to gx94radio.com. Also, you can hear the podcast on your Amazon Echo. Just enable the GX94 skill and choose SaskAg Today. And, yes, it is free. It's now coming up on 1 o'clock. That means it's time to check the GX94 precision weather forecast. For the Quill Lakes, Hudson Bay, Swan River, Broadview, Mooseman, Indian Head, and Yorkton, Melville, Roblin, Russell regions today. Light snow with 3 to 6 centimeters possible. Winds west-northwest at 15 to 30 and a high of 0. For tonight, a 90% chance of light snow and snow showers. Winds northwest at 20 to 35, a low of minus 3. For tomorrow, a 60% chance of flurries, which will taper off. Winds northwest at 15 to 25, a high of 0, an overnight low of minus 6. For Friday, partly sunny. Winds south-southwest at 15 to 25, a high of minus 2. For Remembrance Day, Saturday, partly to mainly sunny, a high of plus 1. And for Sunday, early cloud, then turning to partly to mainly sunny, a high of plus 2. In the Paw, Dauphin and Roblin, it's minus 1 degree. Swan River and Brandon are at 0. Show Lake Russell, minus 2. Regina, Hudson Bay, Broadview, Mooseman, Indian Head, Winyard, Wadena, Kelvington, all reporting in at zero. Saskatoon is at plus two degrees. The Yorkton-Melville region has some light snow, a west wind at 17 kilometers an hour. 98% is the relative humidity. The temperature is zero. That's your agriculture weather, and that'll do it for SaskAg today for today. Be sure to tune in again tomorrow at 12.15 for another edition of the program. It's time now for the news and sports headlines. SaskAg today has been brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. Future Ford is your automotive expert. From sales to service, they're the ones you can trust to get you rolling again sooner.